coming up on the show today. Takeaways from day one of Seahawks mandatory minicamp. The gang is all here. Who was on the field? Who wasn't? Who stood out? And what's the best thing I heard and saw from day one? And stick around till the end. Tyler Lockett talks about one of the most explosive players he saw on the field. And that player may surprise you. I gather up all the minicamp information so that you don't have to. This is Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome back, everybody. I am Dan. Thanks for watching. Hit that like button and subscribe to the channel so you get all the notifications of uh, new episodes, live streams. Join in the chat. Be part of the community. I appreciate it. Uh, we have some breaking news today, right before I hit record. Um, thought this was an interesting change. The Seahawks shaking up their uh, preseason television broadcast crew. Uh, longtime preseason play-by-play guy Kurt Menefee is out in that role. Kate Scott. I could have, you know, I could have done the great Scott thing. I could have gone for low-hanging fruit there. But Kate Scott taking over the mic for play-by-play duties. She is currently the play-by-play announcer for the Philadelphia 76ers. She'll be doing the Seahawk games during the preseason. Michael Robinson, former Seahawk, will be the analyst. Uh, Paul Sylvie and KJ Wright doing the pre- and post-game shows. Really fun to watch KJ's broadcast career come about. If you haven't heard his weekly show on 710 uh, Sports, uh, Seattle Sports on the radio, you should. Michael Bennett will also have a role, as he did last year, doing some sideline stuff. Um, and speaking of women in sports, um, coming up in a couple of weeks, we haven't nailed down the date yet, but we talked about mid-June. Michaela and Kate from the Pacific Northwest Showdown podcast will join me to give their thoughts on the Seahawks, obviously, as we head into the season. So if you're fans of their content, you're going to want to stick around and stay tuned for that. Uh, some other news breaking yesterday. Seahawks signed their second round pick, uh, 37th overall, Derek Hall, the uh, edge player, outside linebacker out of Auburn. Uh, very unique term. So the, the dollar figures and years are slotted. Gets about $9.1 million over four years with about a $3.6 million signing bonus. That part is set in stone. Uh, but how you structure the contract is up to the team and the player. And this one was a little groundbreaking as far as second round picks go. Um, typically, there are second round picks usually don't get a lot of guarantees, if any, after year two. But Hall's structure, he gets 85% of his signing bonus before training camp starts. And he also has a, a guarantee in year four. It's only $100,000. But again, that is not typical for second round picks. Shows you a little bit about how the Seahawks feel about Derek Hall. Uh, so that leaves Devin Witherspoon, number five overall pick, and the Seahawks' other second-round pick, Zach Charbonnet, running back out of UCLA, as the only unsigned draft picks. Now, they can still participate, and they are. They have injury protections and insurance protections. They don't have to be signed. Um, but it may also play slightly into... Um, you know, we've talked about how Devin Witherspoon, they've kind of handled him with kid gloves. He had a little bit of a hamstring injury during the offseason process. He hasn't been going full speed. Um, Pete Carroll says, look, it's not a problem. He's going to be 100%. He's going to be ready to go here soon. But you know what? The fact that he hasn't signed, hasn't put any money in the bank yet, uh, I'd be lying if I said that I 
didn't consider that as a potential factor. Those guys might uh, be a little bit hesitant to go uh, full speed. Uh, Seahawks made a couple other announcements yesterday. Um, they will week three at the home game against the Panthers, September 24th. They're going to celebrate the 10 year anniversary of the Super Bowl championship team. Um, <laughs> it is amazing to think that it's been 10 years because if you're like me, it feels like it happened yesterday. I can remember exactly where I was. And I'll tell you the story as we get, that'll be a fun, um, a fun thing to recount. Once we get to that week, I'll tell you the story of exactly where I was during the game and uh, how I reacted the moment that I knew they were going to win. And when I was overcome by emotion and then how insanely crazy the last 10 or 15 minutes of that game were for me because of where I was and what I was doing and some things that went terribly wrong at a moment that I'd been waiting my whole life to celebrate. So I have never told that story uh, on the air. I will save it for that time. Also, you've been waiting for it. It's official. The throwback uniforms will be unveiled. Well, they haven't been unveiled yet. That'll happen soon. But uh, week eight against the Cleveland Browns on October 29th, the throwback uniforms, the 90s era, John Kitna era throwback uniforms. Can't wait to see these. Um, you know, I think we all agree. We've seen a lot of the Photoshop mock-ups of this. As much as in the moment, we might not have appreciated those jerseys for what they were. Remember, they had the floppy, loose sleeves, right? The bigger shoulder pads. This new modern version of the uniform where it's all, you know, it's made by Nike and it's tight fitting and uh, the silver helmets, those are, those are going to look amazing. The team has said they will have news shortly about uh, retail and where and when you can get those jerseys. And I'm really hoping that one of the options is that you can customize them and get any X player that you want to get. Uh, it would be a huge miss on the part of the Seahawks in the NFL if that wasn't the case. And so what I want to know, throw it in the comments. Let me know on Twitter. Uh, maybe I'll run a poll as well, although I can't get as deep. You know, there might be some obscure players. Who do you want to buy? Which, if you could rush out and get a throwback jersey today, you're going to wear one to that game on the 29th of October. Um Fittingly, that's just a couple of weeks after my birthday, so that'll be a good excuse for me to spend a little coin on a, on a throwback jersey. Who will you wear? So we're at mandatory minicamp. Day one yesterday, they they work out again today and tomorrow, and then that's it. And then they really have a break. Uh, for the most part, OTAs are over, and they they can scatter um, and go work out on their own and uh, until training camp convenes uh, next month. Um and so I thought I would just kind of go over, like I said in the intro, I do all the work so you don't have to. Reading all the reports from the beat writers that were there on the field, the things that they saw, watching some of the video, watching some of the interviews. I do have some sound from Tyler Lockett coming up uh, in just a little bit. And just kind of recapping this and, uh, and tying a bow on day one and, and some of my impressions, some of the things that stood out to me. Um, as expected, Jamal Adams and Jordan Brooks were on hand. Um, some of the guys that have been missing from voluntary workouts Everybody was there yesterday. Uh, but they obviously are not doing much. Of course, Jamal Adams recovering from the torn uh, quad tendon. Jordan Brooks, the ACL. Pete Carroll says they're both confident they can be ready to go by the beginning of the season. That sounds insane to me, considering the timeline for ACL injuries, that Brooks would be ready. Um, 
Jamal Adams' presence loomed large, literally and figuratively. Quandre Diggs talked at length about the impact that he has on the personality of the team. Specifically, he says, everything is different when 33 is out here. And now he can't wait until he hits the field again. There's an energy, there's a presence. Regardless of how you might feel about the trade and about how much the Seahawks gave up for a safety and how much they committed to him dollar-wise and how much they're paying safeties overall as a significant portion of the salary cap, the players all agree that Jamal Adams has a presence about him, an aura about him. And the organization clearly believes enough in the player that they were willing to stay committed to him through this injury process to see if they can still get some of that value that they expected to get when they gave up two first-round draft picks and more to get him. Driving into the city last night, I even noticed for the first time, you know, they, they always redo the banners and the big the big posters and signs that are on the outside of Lumen Field. And as you pull in to Seattle from I-90 and you merge onto I-5, there's two big giant uh, images on the side of Lumen Field there on what would be the southeast side of the stadium. DK Metcalf and Jamal Adams. They're counting on him coming back. They're not putting all their eggs in his back basket like they were last year. And so when he gets hurt week one, it had a profound effect on the defense because they had so many plans for how they were going to use him in the scheme. But he makes a difference. He also is, when I say his presence loomed large, literally Greg Bell at Tacoma News Tribune noted that Adam seemed noticeably bigger physically especially in his upper body. And I wonder if this is a little bit of, we've talked about this, a little bit of foreshadowing that when he does come back, it'll be in more of an outside linebacker role, not a traditional safety role, using him more off the edge to rush the passer and play the run. Another justification of signing Julian Love from the Giants, who is more of a, he can play the slot, but more of a traditional safety. And that maybe Adams really is going to play more linebacker type uh, techniques and have uh, more linebacker responsibilities. Also remember, he's had some shoulder injuries, so that could just be him protecting against that too and just trying to get as big and strong as he can so that he can hold up a little bit more to the pounding. Uh, Tariq Woolen was on hand, but not doing much again, recovering from that minor procedure he had done on his knee for some cartilage. Uh, Pete Carroll, again, confident that he's going to be ready to go 100% by training camp. Kobe Bryant was out, and there's no... Pete Carroll didn't talk yesterday. I'm guessing he won't until after tomorrow, kind of wrap things up. Um, no word on why he's out, but it created an interesting scenario, and I want to talk about the secondary for a minute. Devin Witherspoon was playing a lot of slot yesterday, even though, again, he's not going 100%. Um, Pete Carroll talked to me. He was drafted about how he can do that, how he's excited to do that. He played 109 snaps in the slot in Illinois, uh, at Illinois last year. And if this gives you pause, if you think, wait a minute, we drafted a guy at number five overall, he's going to play the slot. Uh, I don't think that's the vision at all. I think in a perfect world, Tariq Woolen is starting at right outside cornerback. Devin Witherspoon at left outside cornerback. Kobe Bryant's in the slot. Julian Love's going to play some slot. I think this is just a way of increasing his skill set 
exposing him to everything so that the Seahawks can just get their best defensive backs on the field whenever they need it. And that group, I'm going to do a show here in the coming weeks about how good could that secondary be and are we potentially looking at one of the best secondary units in the NFC, if not the NFL. Because we know how good Tariq Woolen can be. And you're starting to see him now. We're seeing some of those preseason lists. Saw one yesterday. Top 10 cornerbacks in the NFL. Not top 10 under 25. Top 10, top 10 cornerbacks overall, and he was listed at 10. He's starting to get that recognition. And then you have a healthy, you know, Devin Witherspoon playing on the outside. Mike Jackson, we talked about him last week about how solid a player he is. And now Trey Brown is back in the mix. He never got fully healthy last year, coming off that patella tendon injury of his own from the year before. Tyler Lockett talked yesterday about Trey Brown, about how you can see the difference, how his explosion is back. He's not the player I was talking about at the top, about the most explosive player he saw on the field. So stay tuned for that. But he talked about how you can see a difference in Trey Brown. And now he knows his explosion is back. And he can be aggressive again, be physical, make plays on the field. And he was doing it yesterday. So he's back to his old self. Which also, a little side note, might give you a little bit of an idea about the timeline for Adams and Brooks. Now, Adams has the huge advantage because he was hurt in game one. Right? Trey Brown was hurt late in the season his rookie year. So you talk about those guys and then plus Julian Brown being in the mix. Now you've got, what is that? Five players plus Artie Burns, a guy who's still only 27 years old, former first round pick can play both sides. Hearing good things and seeing some stuff on video about how he looks. Seahawks might be as deep and talented in their secondary as at any time since what did Seaside Joe say the other day on the show? Since the Legion of Boom. Fun to watch. Mario Edwards Jr. was finally on the practice field. Pete Carroll said he was dealing with some family stuff. That's why he wasn't at the voluntary workouts, but he was there yesterday. Uh, Carroll, really excited about a key role he's going to play. Very good against the run. Consistent pass rusher. Can play that 3-4 defensive end type role in the scheme. Uh, was working with the second team mostly yesterday. Draymond Jones and Jaron Reed as the first team defensive ends. Abe Lucas was on the field getting in some drills. Pete Carroll talked about how he had the, the offseason shoulder surgery. No concerns about him being ready to go for training camp. But he's just getting his strength back, said he was almost there. He was doing some physical work yesterday. He was working with bags and doing drills. And, of course, there's no full contact in this mandatory minicamp. But really good to see Abe Lucas there. And that's going to be a future show as well, just in the similar vein that we talked about the secondary Throughout most of July leading up to training camp, we're going to talk about position groups. And you heard Sanjit T on the show yesterday. Tremendous support and uh, and a lot of views on that show yesterday. Great job by Sanjit. Can't wait to get him back on here. And one of the things he talked about, we mainly talked about Mike Morris, Jonah Tavai, but we did talk about the offensive line briefly because we discussed Anthony Bradford and Ola Oluwatimi. And he just can't stop talking about Abe Lucas and how he thinks he's going to be a top five right tackle in the NFL this year. And then another year of Charles Cross and the new center and Evan Brown and the rookies that were added to it. He said good things about Phil Hughes or Phil Haynes. So Abe Lucas was back doing the work yesterday. No concern there. And uh, 
that offensive line might be shaping up into one of the league's better units. Uh, just another future subject to talk about there. Uh, Quandre Diggs spent quite a bit of time at the the podium. I thought th one of the overall themes of yesterday, and it, and it it spoke to the guys that they sent up to the podium afterwards. When Russell Wilson was traded, we knew the dynamic of the locker room was going to change. New leaders were going to have to emerge. And what made last year so interesting is because Bobby Wagner was also released. So your two biggest, most vocal and most spiritual leaders on the team jettisoned on the same day. And then a lot of young guys added to the mix yesterday. And so, you know, we saw leaders kind of emerge. Quandary's always been a vocal type leader. But when you're not playing as well as he as as he wasn't as he was in the first half of last season, sometimes that's a little tougher. You're you're, you're fighting yourself, right? You're just fighting to get back to your level of standard. But you're starting to see the leaders emerge now, and you're starting to see kind of the feel and the soul of this team take shape. And it's Bobby being back. It's Gino coming into his own. One of the impressions from yesterday and in watching video all through OTAs is it's just how different it is now. There isn't a quarterback battle. You know, Drew's going to have a lot to prove. He's going to get a lot of preseason snaps. But Gino is the guy. And he's carrying himself that way. And he just looks confident and comfortable in everything he's doing. And we'll touch on that in a second, too. Some really cool stuff from Gino yesterday. But Quandre has taken a huge leadership role. Very vocal in the offseason. You saw it on social media, campaigning for guys, recruiting guys. Was at the forefront of wanting Bobby back. He and Bobby were kind of playing off each other a little bit yesterday while Quandre was behind the podium. And Tyler Lockett. First of all, Quandre says he confirmed that it took about halfway through the season last year before he really felt 100% healthy, and you saw it in his level of play. By the end of last year, he looked like Quandre Diggs, right? Um. Tyler Lockett, just the term that comes to mind when I see Tyler speak now is elder statesman. The elder statesman of the team, right? The voice of reason, the wise old sage. He talked about age yesterday. He talked about how the approach now in OTAs and minicamp and training camp is so different from the young core of this team and some of the older players, how the young guys are thinking about scheme and role and uh, responsibilities and techniques, right? The old players are thinking about how to preserve their bodies and get the most out of their bodies. He talked about having to stretch more, having to do the workout before the workout to get ready for practice so it doesn't beat his body up as much. But he had some really cool things to say as well. Um, he was asked about what he thinks the team can do to improve. And he was asked the question by Michael Sean Duger of The Athletic. And Michael Sean has been vocal in talking about the Seahawks' struggles in a certain aspect of their game on offense that involves the wide receivers, but also heavily involves the running backs. And yet Tyler spoke at length, acknowledging that this is an area of weakness that the team can get better at and is determined to get better at. Here's Tyler Lockett talking about the screen game. Uh, well, 
I think the biggest thing that we could be way better at that'll help us out is just the screen game. Um, I think we were last in the screen game. I, I also seen you tweet a lot <laughs> about us in the screen game, screen game, how we're in last place. So um, I think if we can be able to get that down to at least 20, it does wonders. You know, like the biggest thing is for us just knowing um, how to be able to be better at it, how to know, you know, how to catch it, how to be able to get upfield, trusting that the line is going to be there, everybody being able to do their part. And I think if we can get better at that, then it makes the offensive game better. It makes the run game better, the explosive game better, the short game better. But if we don't have the screen game, then we're kind of become limited. Man, hasn't this something? Uh, hasn't this been something that's frustrated us for years? It doesn't matter who the offensive coordinator is. Doesn't matter who the receivers are, who the running backs are. For some reason, we see teams, other teams do it well and do it well against us, right? He didn't talk about the Seahawks' struggles defending the screen, um, but I think they've done some things personnel-wise this offseason to help with that. But on offense, man, they just can't get it going, and they have the personnel. This year, more than ever. You look at those running backs. Pete Carroll talked the other day about how much work Ken Walker's doing in the passing game to get better there. We've seen Zach Charbonnet, even at his size, be dynamic in the passing game at UCLA in that Chip Kelly offense. Kenny McIntosh, that's the thing he's does, he does better than anything. Catch the football. And he's good in pass protection. Having a good screen game allows you to get the most out of your talent. Tariq Young and the things he can do coming out of the backfield kind of as a pseudo fullback. And there's another player on the team that could be dynamic in the screen game. And this is what I teased earlier. Tyler Lockett talked about it a couple weeks ago. I mentioned it, but we kind of glossed over it. He went back to it again yesterday, talking about D. Eskridge and how good he looks, how healthy he looks, and how explosive he looks. The audio here isn't quite as good, but I'll try to pot it up. I try to clean it up as much as possible. This is Lockett talking again about D. Eskridge. So um, even with D, man, D showed what he can do early on, even with the special teams. Um, even out here when D's running routes, like D looks explosive. Like he's one of the most explosive receivers that's out there, whether it's the start or whether it's the finish. Um, you know, he's coming back to the ball. He's getting himself open. Um, even the other day, we saw him. He ran a heck of a comeback. And Sanjay always coaches us about being able to run his comebacks in a specific way. And he killed the DB, you know, um, running that comeback. Gino was scribbling. And then all of a sudden, you know, he turned up field. Boom, easy touchdown. So, I mean, D's very explosive. And he can do whatever it is that coach wants him to do. Seaside Joe talked about it on the show the other day about how good this offense might be, how explosive it might be. And early on in the season with all these young guys on defense and some scheme tweaks, the, the offense might have to carry this team. Fortunately, that first part of the, the schedule looks a little more forgiving. Just imagine, as much as some of you want to give up on DS Gridge, especially after the team took Jackson Smith and Jigba in the first round. Imagine if D. Eskridge can be D. Eskridge, the guy that blew up the senior bowl, the guy that as much as uh, there were some other players, Creed Humphrey, taken after D. Eskridge that Seahawks fans would have rather had. Scouts around the league, you know, other teams love D. Eskridge too. He wasn't that much of an overdraft. If he can be healthy, if he can contribute somehow, some way in some kind of role, it just adds to that offense. We talked about the running backs. We haven't even talked about the tight ends. Tight ends were all over the tape yesterday doing things uh, on the practice field. 
Uh, to wrap up, best thing I saw, best thing I heard. I think this might be a segment that we'll do regularly um, on the show. Best thing I saw was, and the tight ends were heavily involved in this, Geno Smith dropping passes into the bucket one after another after another in the back right corner of the end zone. There is video. I think it was Duger who had uh, this video where he's standing in the back right corner of the end zone. So Gino's throwing the ball directly at him one after another. It must have been seven or eight times. Every single receiver, every single tight end on the roster was running just a little release route in the red zone, timing route, and Gino has to drop the ball into, and they have a small square painted with stripes in that back corner of the end zone. This is a real point of emphasis for them. And Gino won after another every single ball was caught every single ball was in perfect position to be caught now granted they weren't going against live defensive backs and it was uh typically um it was a coach just kind of running interference but unbelievable accuracy and consistency from gino it was really cool to watch um i almost went with jackson smith and jigma but i've talked so much about him lately <laughs> Uh, shout out to his parents if they're listening to the show today. Um, uh, but I talked about on Twitter yesterday, just how naturally he catches a football is about as good as I have ever seen. It's effortless. doesn't matter if it's over his head, under his head, behind him, in front of him. He doesn't even have to think about catching the football. It happens so naturally. It is hard to contain my excitement and enthusiasm for how good that player can be. The best thing I heard, going to go back to Tyler Lockett. This one just made me chuckle. He's becoming a very quotable, quotable player. He was, uh, people were talking, they were asking him about his off-field activities. And we know now, if you follow him on social media, how active he is as a licensed real estate agent. He's selling houses. He's selling big houses. He's He's got a nice little side hustle going in addition to his uh, $20 million a year contract, right? Uh, he was asked about, hey, would you ever be a player agent? Makes sense, right? Fits his personality. He says, no. And here's his direct quote, uh, comparing real estate to being an agent. He says, I like it more than negotiating player deals because houses don't speak. Uh, I like that one. We're going to end there before I stop speaking uh, for the day. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Of course, subscribe to the YouTube page and to the audio version of the show wherever you get your podcasts so you can listen to it anywhere anytime. Uh, I'll be back with more mini camp takeaways. Um, next Tuesday, I'll be hopping. If you're a fan of the locked on Seahawks podcast with Corbin Smith, which you should be, if you aren't, you definitely need to listen to it. He does daily shows almost every Monday through Friday. Uh, that's always a good time. Going to be hopping on with him next Tuesday. Um, so keep an eye out for that. And then next Wednesday, big reveal a uh, week from today, the 14th, Wednesday, the 14th, Bob Condota of the Seattle Times will be joining me to give his impressions, of course, on how the team looks coming out of mini camp as we count down to the start of training camp. You don't want to miss that. Mark your calendars. Bob Condota will be joining me next month. We also have a, a fun little bit of shared musical history, which we'll talk about on the show. Also, until then, uh, thank you for listening again. Thank you for all the recent support of the show. It's been growing by leaps and bounds. And that is thanks to you. It's thanks to you that I can get guests like Bob Condota on the show. Stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening and watching. Go Hawks.